So, Laurie, thanks for joining today. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Um, this is going to be about the company you're from, Neural DSP, and some of the cool stuff about the intersection of machine learning and guitar, which I think is um, interest of both of us and hopefully to the broader community. So this is a really cool application area. Uh, and thanks again for being here. Really looking forward to it. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about Neural DSP, what the company does and specializes in? Yeah, we're a startup uh, from Helsinki. We're doing um, basically guitar sounds with uh, a lot of machine learning involved. Uh, two main product lines are um, plugins, guitar amp models. The latest one is a, a archetype Gojira with a Jordi Duplantier, and it's it's kind of metal focused, but moving more more to like a general guitar sounds. And there's also our hardware product quad cortex launching really soon or uh, we're shipping them to the pre-orders starting i think next week that's so, really exciting yeah. i saw the gorgira video yesterday and was blown away that was just so cool what a great band yeah. to have on the roster you know that's yeah like they're a... one of my favorites yeah so are you a guitar player then yeah well, most of us are uh, some sort of musicians like guitar guitar playing is the focus yeah but that's it's uh it's almost like um yeah most of the like especially the machine learning team is, is kind of um just people who um did a phd in something and then just uh, because they're passionate about music kind of uh somehow the stars aligned and uh, we just uh it, it's like uh, yeah for me myself it's 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 kind of a side project went crazy and uh <laughs> I ended up from like speech synthesis to uh doing like audio it's like the or, dream though you know it's like yeah. uh if you play guitar and you're into machine learning it's like what cooler company or project to work on than that you know yeah yeah i agree i agree so um can you talk a little bit about your background you, you mentioned speech synthesis there is, is was that like your phd focus or yeah 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 i just uh defended this this summer and uh yeah i was basically doing uh like it's it's also like my background is like original background is kind of in digital signal processing and then i started doing speech synthesis and then during my phd everything just morphed into this like a fully neural synthesis like wave nets and uh rns for uh waveform generation that's like basically the like the classic audio processing side of speech was enveloped in this uh, uh, neural net world. And that's it's a lot of like a lot of tech transfer from that that domain. It's uh, it's uh, it's seemed like a, even like a low hanging fruit as uh, the, the original original paper that got me into this is it's like a side project where we just used uh, um, a modified WaveNet type architecture for um, modeling guitar amps. We started with uh, something simple like a tube screamer and that worked super well. And like, let's let's go a bit higher. And the, the first web paper was like, uh, I think a Fender Basement preamp that we mm. uh, modeled and that works super well. Um, yeah, and that's that's uh, things started escalating from that. But it's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's the first these models kind of broke through in uh, in speech speech synthesis so that's uh 
that's, oh. that's my back, background really. Well, that makes a nice segue into um, what what is it that makes modeling guitar amps hard? Like, why can't you just, for example, figure out how each frequency is impacted by the circuit and just sort of like go through that component wise and then sum them all together in the end? Yeah, um, well, like a very simple model. If if you just just look at the frequency response. Um, that essentially are building a linear model, uh, and guitar apps are highly nonlinear. It's uh, it depends on uh, how hard you put, uh, put stuff in. It's, there's going to be distortion. There's going to be uh, like intermodulation distortion. It's like it's it's the response changes it's di dynamically. It's it's not just the frequency response that you have to have to match in a guitar amp, but um, yeah, there's a all the kind of distortion characteristic uh, and if, like compression compression going on and it's it's a very very dynamic system and uh, uh, your typical model would be a um, or or a f f like first uh, frequency matching idea would be you just uh, do a linear time invariant model and that's not going to cut it at all so so you would 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 need to go to let's say frequency response that is time varying but that's already gets really convoluted uh, you would mm. need to change that rapidly and uh, you, you still don't, don't get the distortion characteristics wrong, right easily but just uh yeah they're very complex systems uh or, or the behavior is, is complex it's like looking at guitar amp schematics it's not that not that um that, yeah, that doesn't look too hard. Right. But the tubes are hard. They're just uh, modeling how vacuum tubes work. That's uh, hasn't been like nailed perfectly. Because they also have interactions with like the transformer and you know yeah, like yeah. sag and all these concepts of these nonlinear couplings between other circuit elements that I'm sure that it's just got to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, and typically you would even have a, some kind of feedback connections from the power amp back, right. back to the deeper in the amp, and it's it's all of if you just uh, just do circuit analysis for this, like uh, and some people do, and it's like there's a lot of great uh, virtual analog models which are like very detailed circuit analysis, and you go basically like solving these uh, partial differential equations real time, and that gets really hairy really soon. So you got to cut, cut corners and, uh, or know where to cut the corners. That's an art form to itself. But uh, another kind of um, nasty property there is, is you typically would use need to use iterative solvers. And then you get this kind of uh, not deterministic runtime. And yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, whole another topic i'm not really an expert in, in that but that's that's not really the way i want to do guitar amp modeling either right yeah there seems like machine learning offers some unique advantages to kind of get around some of those things but uh before we get there can you give us an outline of um i don't know the basics of like how line six axe effects kemper these more traditional approaches that aren't using machine learning can you just give us a you know a one paragraph or so explanation at a high level of how they go about solving some of these problems and, and doing the modeling 
well, this is uh, just the guesstimates because they're not uh, really like disclosing what they do in detail. Um, like the, the kind of classical DSP approach for doing this is, is, is basically you look at the schematic, try to identify some functional blocks in there and say, this is, I can approximate this with, with a filter and a wave shaper, another, another filter and another wave shaper. And then you go in into uh, like do some calculations and try to approximate the frequency response of a block and, or how it would distort and start chaining these filter wave shapers and basically tune it by hand and go in and measure, measure the amp and do, play some sweeps through it and just kind of, kind of manually transfer data from a, from a physical device to this uh, kind of block-oriented DSP. Oh, so you're saying they'll, they'll take like a, uh, a functional block in the circuit and they'll have this linear and nonlinear blocks with parameters and then they'll try to fit the output of that to the output of that part of the circuit? Because I assume yeah, they, they yeah. just sort of had like a input and output of the amp, but not necessarily the intermediate voltages within the circuit. Yeah, if you if you want to have a good model with this approach, I, I think you'll need to go to uh, kind of also probing intermediates. Oh, interesting. Intermediate responses, responses, let's say it's like, if you just do a uh, kind of end-to-end block oriented it's it's really hard to tune it's uh well that's what deep learning does great is is that you you can actually like it, it's it's there's a there is an analogy to it like you, you typically have a have like a weight matrix or a linear part and then some activation function and you kind of keep on stacking those but uh i think neural net or, or deep learning is is really the only good way of uh, uh that we currently know of that we can actually end-to-end -end estimate these parameters it's like um yeah so the, so the classical approach i think contains a lot of this kind of in, intermediate state probing so in the whole do they do it uh, sort of one block at a time or you know as you said deep learning does it kind of end to end and each block is kind of being jointly optimized but um yeah, yeah. i imagine that they don't have that luxury is that right? No, no. Yeah, yeah. If you if you do the classic DSP way, you basically have to, uh, or or at least like it helps you helps you because you can actually like break apart the amp. Uh, it's a lot of work, but uh, you can do circuit analysis and use uh, like mod uh, mod modeling software like Spice or like circuit circuit emulation software and actually do the the measurements in software to some extent. For for for, for like there are some segments that are like passive parts of, of an amp so so those are like well understood how, how you would go about modeling those so it, those parts it's it's like very easy to like, let's say you have the tone stack part of a uh, of an amp and that's basically linear you can just do certain analysis and kind of model pops out from that that's uh, kind of standard electrical engineering but uh, like some other parts if you have a like the gain stages is so you have a lot of tubes tubes in series and right it's, uh that's it's a bit hard to model but 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 yeah the the kind of classical approach to this i i think is that you need to go probing in or do some circuit analysis or, or a combination of the two 
So yeah, it's it's really, really like uh, not that many people who can do it. It's it's very like labor intensive and expert labor intensive. Wow. Another approach which which is a, looks a bit more like the uh, neural net approaches is uh, classical black box modeling approaches. Um, um, which uh, I don't can't really go into detail on those, but. Uh, uh, at least in the academic space, there's uh, like the uh, Felix Eikerson Udo Zoser paper, where they are basically constrained to this kind of two-part model, which is like a filter, wave shaper filter, and then they make some clever assumptions about what kind of signals you have to pass through to be able to estimate the, the parameters for that. But it's 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 like a very very rigid topology, or it's like a simple fixed architecture that you can estimate with that and if you want, want to grow the system somehow it, it's uh, gets yeah you can just estimate the parameters so one thing about using these models as an amplifier is you need to have really low latency i, I assume it has to be yeah. under 10 milliseconds uh, maybe you can tell us numbers what you think is acceptable for real time um, but anything more than that it starts being a distraction to the guitar player yeah right? they, they can kind of feel it but, yeah, and that's like uh, my rule of thumb for alg algorithm design would be that uh, there should be no al algorithmic latency because there's already like the router trip latency uh, like adds up just from like the audio converters and all that. So like uh, because th there are alternatives like the just if you have a causal wave net type or like any type of causal convolution net that's uh, zero algorithmic latency or Another alternative is these RNN type models, which um, Alec Wright has been from Alto University. But they're kind of connected. We've been in, involved in that as well before moving to Neuro. But uh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, yeah, it's like from a modeler's uh, perspective, just make your models causal and you're good. There's a, like zero algorithmic latency. Um, so can you define yeah. define those terms? Yeah, so causal is, is like. You can't use information from the future, or if you want to use information from the future in your model, you basically need to wait for the future to happen, and that introduces some latency. So, so if I if I if I play play play, play input the signal at at, at this at this very instant, um, yeah, that's the information that's available. Right. Um, Typically, there's a like, there's a buffer size to a like digital audio processing, but still, that's a, like, a, for example, you get a, like a buffer of 32 samples, but you need to process that in one go, so so you can't wait for any information from the next buffer. Uh, so if your algorithm requires information from the next buffer. To function properly, you would need to wait for that buffer to come in, and that's that's how your then your like total latency for the thing becomes 64 samples. So that's what you mean by zero algorithmic latency. That there's also no future dependence. Yeah, that's the, that's the, like the uh, algorithm side of like the causalities. It's like don't make the algorithm depend on on the future, at least not by much, because that's uh, 10, 10, 10 milliseconds are is a good rule of thumb. That's uh, that's basically what it's like if your uh, amp is standing at the 
few meters away. If you get just the, the sound propagation through air is, is something like that. Then oh, wow. yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's interesting. Yeah, but that's uh, that, that's a good good yardstick for calibration. If if someone says that they can feel feel like two two milliseconds of latency or three milliseconds. Um, Maybe in certain conditions, but if, if you're uh, like playing in a room, that kind of gets uh, smoothed away. But yeah, but it's like the smaller the better. Um, Ten milliseconds is probably, I think, a good rule of thumb. I, I try to go lower in my dog if I can. But yeah. Well, the other side of the coin is you're trying to process high quality audio. You know, like. 48,000 samples per second or something like that, 44 maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah so, 44 is, is the kind of CD quality or 48. That's a lot of samples. Like uh, all the speech synthesizer, like the initial wave net was super slow and it worked on, on like 16 kilohertz sample rate, which is less than half of what, what uh, like an acceptable guitar application would do. So yeah, there's a kind of uh, the implementation in something else than Python. <laughs> GPUs are out of the question for for real-time inference. It's just just a, a kind of round trip for just transferring the data to a GPU and back to your sound card. It's, 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 that already kind of caps the inference rate. Oh, something really? that's like far from real-time. So that's, that's just like the current hardware. So it's probably if you integrate that, that on a everything on a system on a chip and have a like a parallel processing unit which is yeah like could spend some time with a new m1 chip on my macbook but that i think that, that that's a really nice direction to go to just um just like have this par parallel computation capability that can also tie in with low latency but like just uh with the, with the current pipelines with the the gpus and that, how all of that works that, that's really not great for real time um, uh, and also it's, it's like, uh, the GPUs are also great, great. If you, if you're like training in a batch mode where you've kind of already observed all your signals or your inputs. So you've kind of waited for the future to happen already. So, so you can kind of just process everything on a, on a one go and, and GPUs are great for that, but, uh, for real time, probably better off. You're basically doing sequential processing. So CPUs are great for that. A low level, well, C plus plus is that low level, not necessarily, but um, just uh, going for a, like optimized, optimized implementations there. It's it's super important. Um, well, one but thing also, also yeah, scaling down the model size is, is, is another challenge because the, the original wave nets are so kind of huge. Yeah, the thing I don't quite understand how it could work is that. Um the frequencies that we care about span several orders of magnitude, right? So right. like for the highest frequency around 20 kilohertz, um, you obviously don't need much of a buffer size to capture the, the information uh, in those frequencies. Yeah. But for something like the lowest bands around 20 hertz, you might need, you know, um, 10 milliseconds of audio just to capture the waveform of a full cycle. And maybe that's not important, uh, but it seems like j just to kind of maintain the information in something like a WaveNet architecture, you would need, I don't know, something like 
double digit milliseconds of audio to be passed in for inference. Uh, is that not correct, or or how how is that handled? I I understand if you have a recurrent net, then the the memory state could kind of keep track of that stuff. But I'm not sure how it would work with a WaveNet. Well, uh, WaveNet's also kind of stateful. You um, basically have these uh, like a dilation buffers that uh, so so you don't need to kind of recompute the whole receptive field. Mm. Uh, uh, but but it's still. The, yeah, the, the kind of effective receptive field for a wavenet, uh, you can quite easily make it long. It, it's uh, it's to the order of, order of milliseconds still. So is the um, challenge then to kind of uh, implement the sampling piece of like you're keeping all this state and memory from previous uh, inference request, and now you have to kind of look up these different dilation factors. Is that yeah? There's difficult? a well, it's it's a bit tricky, but uh, but there's a uh, like being public public uh, implement or yeah or even public implementations of it. It's yeah basically you can like take advantage of the fact that there's holes in the in the convolutions that so you don't need to compute everything at the, at every sample, but you can kind of just store the values from a previous one and just uh, there's basically like a multiple. T clock rates at the different um, dilation factors going in, in the network. So, yeah, it, it's a complicated model, and it's it's really hard to uh, optimize for for real time because it's it's just uh, it's very granular. You can't can't do this kind of RNNs are great because you can just do large matrix multiplications for everything, and it's uh, like optimizing compilers can can squeeze a lot of lot out of those so it's, it's it's like a the uh the the iteration in the speech side is it's like first you had the wave net and then about a year later they google guys published this um efficient neural synthesis paper where they had this rnn based model and it's like uh, yeah the industry applications have been a lot of them on the speech side, that's used to like being RNN based, just because it's so much easier to optimize for real time. Um, yeah, WaveNets are complicated. That's uh, uh, that's the way to put it. Yeah. So transformers are kind of taking over the world. Do you see them making an impact here, or is there kind of fundamental constraints around these sorts of things we're talking about with size and uh, inference time that won't make that work well? Mm, well, it's it's um, also not that complicated in audio, and and transformers are uh, so you're basically trying to like fill in the gaps uh, and but with, with a transformer. But here you're always kind of it's 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 it's, it's uh, for audio processing. This is actually a nicely simple regression regression problems. It's 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 to me, me it's, it's almost like prototypical black box, just like signal to signal. It's like you have no issues with alignment, or, or at least it's it's fairly easy to solve these alignment issues. It's like even, um, yeah, transformers are powerful, but the, the, the yeah, for this it could be just uh, like overly complicated. It's a. Uh, um, so do you think it's uh, the case that parallel is 
a good target because then we can kind of have larger models and and distribute the computation or um, you seem to say that kind of the target yeah, that, is sequential yeah they so that's like uh the inference latencies like the latency constraint here is really unique because it's, you really need to push it down um so that's that's a bit of a constraint and like of course if you, if you can do real-time parallel inference then you can make your models wider not necessarily deeper um well depends what, what depends what you do but uh yeah the the latency is uh something that you always have to keep in mind when you're working with audio or this kind of real-time real-time audio audio processing of course if you can go into like offline batch mode processing there's like lots of other applications where you can do that and like transformer based uh, acoustic models are like becoming the state of art in the in the text to speech scene but uh, that's uh that's those are typically not designed for real time it's like you, you and you have have this kind of uh acceptable latencies is some some tens of milliseconds but it's uh yeah it's a bit of a di different like application constraint yeah so you mentioned gpu doesn't work well because basically the data transfer rate is already hitting up against the latencies you require yeah um so cpu you know, maybe conceivably you could do something parallel there i, I don't know what kind of overhead that adds. I'm, I'm not in this real-time world, um, but when you look at the hardware specs of the, the Quad Cortex that Neural DSP is releasing soon, right. it talks about these Shark DSP chips, which I don't know anything about this hardware world, but uh, if you're able to say, does the inference of these models happen on those DSP chips, or is there some kind of other dedicated CPU where the model inference happens? Yeah, it's using the shark course for the, there's a lot of nice neural net, net models running on the on the cortex. Um, so does that add like a new uh, challenge for you in terms of translating the models into something that can exe execute on sharks? I I don't know what the uh, yeah it's, it's it's a yeah bit of a software engineering problem to kind of that's like basically we just have to implement our own inference libraries and exporters from uh, let's say if you if you train a model in PyTorch and you want to export that into like an embedded C C based environment. You just uh, have to build a lot of the pipeline yourself. Um, yeah, but it's it's in the end. It's like the inference code running there is like C based. Um, just it looks a lot like just just a lot like a optimized DSP code. Have you gotten your hands dirty with that side of it, or are you mainly just the uh, the model builder? Well, yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I've built a lot of the exporting pipelines, and uh, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I've, I'm looking at the code, code on the C, C side as well. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I didn't write that my like a lot of it I didn't write, but yeah, it's uh, at least I'm kind of uh, yeah involved in the kind of vertical integration of a, of going from uh, kind of machine learning familiar Python world to the to the C side, it's 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 like, or it's I, I think it's even more exciting for the capture feature that there we're actually training models. So so 
that that seems 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 oh, a, yeah. a bit like a crazy idea to do backprop on on a user device embedded system. Um, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, so so that's like autograd. It's out. You, you have to like implement your own backpropagation for uh, for your model and all that. So so that's uh, yeah. Yeah. So for anyone that is listening that doesn't know what he's talking about, the one of the features of the quad cortex is that you have your own equipment and you can basically train a neural network to copy your equipment so that you can you know kind of toss the hardware out or sell it or whatever but then you still have this digital clone of it uh and that, that's yeah. similar kind of in, in concept to at least what the kemper profiler does but in this case right. is using neural nets uh, so you're saying that you had to implement those training libraries on this um so that the, it will happen on this embedded dsp chip which is yeah, uh, yeah. must have been a ton of work to recreate yeah, all and and also it's just like checking that it's all correct and just like a lot of double checking against PyTorch and, and figuring out like well how how does backprop for convolution actually work and oh yeah I, I recently made a blog post that implemented um, graph convolutional networks using NumPy and I had to yeah. do the same thing and like you know, you look at the equations, you read the papers, and it, it just sort of becomes yeah. ingrained in your memory. But then when it comes time to actually do it from scratch with the yeah. matrices and getting the orders of them, <laughs> and then you start thinking about dimensionality and like, oh, wait, do I sum over the batch here or do I keep yeah, passing yeah. it through? Like, it gets really complicated. And yeah, yeah. It, does, it does. I can't imagine doing it on a real life um, product that I'm going to ship out the door. So kudos to yeah. you guys. Uh, yeah, it's it was crazy, but I'm super happy with how, how it turned out. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and just just uh, the correctness is one thing, but efficiency is another, and that's uh, something we spent a really lot of, a lot of time just uh, make it efficient computationally, and also make it converge fast enough that you can like you don't have to wait for. It's currently taking like four minutes or. For three minutes, but end to end, for with the, for like recording and training that. And how much audio do you need for that? It's not recording that much. It's like a half a minute or so. Oh wow. Yeah, because it, it's it's like a snapshot of the of of the amp. So it's like if if you want to do, uh, it's just a, like one set of one setting of controls. So so that's um, if you want to start turning the knobs or do conditional models, that's. Uh, uh, whole another level of complexity, and just the data collection of that is—it's—it's it's, it's like you wouldn't want um, to have your user turn right. on. So like that's—that's that's like I don't think we could make that robust enough. Like now, turn the volume knob to one. Now right. turn it to two. <laughs> Repeat the same for uh, for uh, like all the tone knobs, and that's uh, yeah, just. That dovetails very well with my next question, which was about these traditional methods can't model the, the knobs well, or at least in an elegant way. You can um, maybe capture different models for each configuration of knobs that you think are important or something like that, as yeah. I understand it. But, um, but then you have like this exponential increase in the number of models you need to keep. And I, I'm sure the, the people that use these techniques have come up with clever ways of reducing that complexity. Um, 
But one of the cool things about machine learning is that you can include the knobs as just another input to the model and sort of condition the model parameters on that. And um, as you mentioned, the, the data collection piece is, is uh, really difficult there. And I noticed in one of your papers, uh, I think you referenced it earlier, of this Fender Baseman model, right. you used a spice with you know some software circuit yeah, yeah. analysis uh, or simulation software to generate the training data uh, does that work well is that kind of a, a good strategy of how you would generate because you know there's these obvious benefits of that you can kind of digitally control the knobs and then they're faithful and reproducible and all that as opposed to kind of trying to manually set them uh, yeah is, is that the path really forward well. It's really, really well if your spice model is accurate. So if there's tubes in the circuit, that becomes questionable. That, that because the like the digital models, even with this uh, like partial the, the differential equation solving tools, um, the the tube models in those are like still uh, I don't think they're up, up to the task for for amp modeling. But you can do stuff like. Uh, um, mostly linear circuits like WAS or um, mm. like, like modulated filter type type stuff. That so some of those are actually on, on QC as well. It's like the the WAS WAS models are um, in neural nets because the, the spice is a great uh, way for collecting data for those. So, um, do you think there's opportunity? for machine learning to kind of disrupt that space of where, you know, maybe you have a 12AX7 tube and you um, build a neural net to map input to output and, and characterize that as a function that, you know, maybe it's conditional on material properties as well or something like that so that you don't have to do it in real time, but you might have a better way of generating data in something like Spice, which could then feed back to help you uh, build the models that we're talking about in this other context that are real time. That's you, a good idea. I've tried it, but, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, just like replacing the spice internals with some kind of neural net models. I think well worth trying. I haven't tried it. Last question is if you, uh, if someone out there wanted to play with, for instance, modeling the basement, I think you had a paper out maybe during your academic career that, that was about that and had generated data from the SPICE model. Is that data publicly available for people to play with, do you know, or? SPICE data, um, I don't think we open sourced it. Uh, I don't see why not, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, that, that would be a, would be nice nice to have some kind of um, like conditional modeling benchmark for, for people to play around with like the, the stuff that's Currently online, it's it's mostly these uh, like snapshot style models. Um, yeah, so so it's like that. What's stopping us from doing, or or the, like the online community from doing conditional models or research on those? It's it's really the data availability. Um, of of course, you can 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 go about if you just just do one control, do ten recordings for. Or, or 11, so like go from zero to 10 on your ramp. Or, or it's like two controls is still feasible, but, and you still get like reasonable models, like uh, that'll should learn to interpolate. Uh, yeah, but the original data set that I, I don't think well, we open sourced it, 
might be somewhere still on the university servers, but uh, yeah, it's. So were you guys involved at all in, you know, there's this open source project. Um, I, I've actually seen a, a few different forks of it or something, but uh, the larger project is Guitar ML, but it has these yeah. smart, I forget exactly what it is called, but they essentially have a, a couple pedals and, and an amp and they're using wave nets and it, it seems closely aligned, at least with the techniques that I saw from the papers I read from your group. I didn't know if you guys were involved or if there was like a sister research group or if it was just they came yeah, across your uh, papers. I think it's using, they're, they're using the, uh, like we did open source the, like the WaveNet inference code back in the day. And that's, that's on GitHub and they, they're, I think, directly using that in the, the WaveNet flavor of, of that project. Um, I think I also gave a like, few small tips on how to, like because uh, they the, the popped up this uh like basically a PyTorch implementation of the training code which we for some uh we were kind of already talking with, with guys at neural and uh, back in the alter days and uh, uh like decided not to share the uh, like the training scripts that we had like somebody did a PyTorch implementation that and uh that seemed mostly correct or like compatible with the what we were doing uh on the open source uh, inference code. So there's a, uh, his name Keith, Keith Blomer, uh, who's uh, uh, like the, uh, started the guitar ML project. Mm -hmm. I gave him a, like, just like a few debugging pointers of uh, how to kind of tie, tie these, uh, like the open source resources together. But yeah, I've been following the projects. I'm not really like actively contributing, but. So one yeah, kind of question I had on that integration piece, because it, it uses the Juice framework to wrap it into right. a, a plugin and and that C++, but then things like PyTorch will allow you to basically export your models in C++ and, and uh, you know, just use those directly as opposed to writing your own inference code. Do you find that you have to write your own inference code because there's optimizations necessary there for getting the real-time performance, or were those tools just not available at the time? Yeah, it's a bit of a combination of both. Like we, like our original code that we had was in TensorFlow, and that mm. like there definitely wasn't a real-time capable C++ uh, code at that time. Also, the the WaveNet model itself has has these intricacies. That are, I don't think you can get those out of the box, even though for, uh, for that's Python C++. Um, probably could get an RNN running real time um, with a, just PyTorch's, um, or at least like some configuration of an RNN running with, with PyTorch's uh, C++ API. But there's a, yeah, it's, it's like, um, yeah, it's it's still still a it's it's a bit bit of a like a trade off between optimization and hard coding things versus um, like generality and the, these toolkits are leaning on the generality side because they're like mostly for research or at least they kind of arose from the research side of things. So so they're still like uh, holding onto this baggage of of general generality like right that 
yeah, some some trade off trade offs you need to make. Uh, is my understanding correct in in general about the difficulty of modeling these circuits? That uh, essentially, the more distortion, the harder it is. Like the more nonlinearities, the more harmonics. Um, and if that's correct, I've noticed a lot of the focus of neural DSP has been kind of on the, the heavy metal side, uh, at least in the ones I've come across. Maybe there's some selection bias there, but like Gojira and Nolly and stuff, it, it's very high gain. Uh, it seems like the hardest problem to tackle. Is that correct? And, and if so, is it just like that you've basically solved it and have the confidence, or is it like we're going to start here and uh, then the rest will be easy after that? Or Yeah, I think there's a, like two effects that are kind of independent. Somehow they be kind of uh, heavy tones. The, the buying public for those is, is, is very tech curious, so they're, they're mm. kind of, um, yeah. The, they take. Uh, they don't necessarily want, want the physical thing, or they're not that like nostalgic about that. So it, it's a, it's a. I think it, it's a very fruitful scene to start start with these plugins. It's it's, a, it's like the tech tech curious tech metal scene. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it's a, it's it's partially business business thing, and also it's like. A, just the background of the people in the company are like well well, well com connected as like especially the ceo doug, doug, doug castro is a around dark glass for a for, for a long time it's like it's basically he's very very well connected in the, the kind of heavier heavier music industry so that that's uh that's not really a um like a, a algorithm question per se um um, modeling heavy tones or, or cleaner tones, right? I, I guess that uh, if you if you go and read the forums, like what, what the people say is that the hardest to model is the edge of breakup tones. So it's it's like uh, the kind of in, in between. Um, so just like when you roll roll off your tone pot on your guitar and want to get the like right response of like, um, yeah, if you dig in. You want to get some distortion if you play lightly. You want it, want it to be clean. So that's the. Yeah, I found when listening to some of the sound samples of the projects linked to in the, in the references of your papers, that like the the big muff of the really heavy uh, fuzz settings. Yeah, that, that's hard. Yeah, that seemed like the hard part because there were all these weird frequencies that popped up that has just got to be super tough to model. Yeah, th those are. Uh... Yeah, it's like this extreme saturation is hard to model, especially with gradient descent. It's hard to model because it's like you basically want to hard clip, or or even go to like a pure sine function, or not, not, not like a sinusoidal sine function, but a a like a plus or minus one sine function. Oh, so okay. like you hard clip. How do you backprop through that? Like so you, you go to an extreme saturation, you are basically a Clip everything. The gradient of that is zero. How do you backprop? That's hard, and that's uh, that's part of the. You're basically basically operating largely on a saturation region for your like neural net nonlinearities, and you somehow have to deal with that when you're going to extreme high gain. Um, 
Very interesting. Uh, of course, it's, uh, the like, again on the on the clean cleanup side of things, it's uh, then hard hard to like where do you put the filtering? It's like if if you have some type of like over specified model, there's uh, multiple solutions that are appropriate. Like it's uh, basically like if you have uh, multiple filters that are not distorting that much, how do you distribute the filtering? It's 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 uh, it's clearly a like a non-unique uh, solution. So any last things you want to plug or talk about any websites or Twitter handles or anything like that? <laughs> for neurodisphere research, yeah, I, I don't know. Or just uh, for you personally? For, for me personally, uh, I, I don't really do Twitter. I, uh, for, Smart move. Uh, yeah, check my GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, uh, stick around for a second. I'll wrap up the recording, but uh, th thanks again. This has been uh, really interesting and informative. I, I hope everyone else gets as much out of it as I did. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.